few names invoke sheer ruthlessness as that of Joseph Stalin. Following the Bolshevik Revolution of 1917, the Central Committee elected Stalin as General Secretary of the All-Union Communist Party on April 3, 1922. Shortly after Lenin's death in 1924, Stalin consolidated power as the absolute leader of the Soviet Union. Today, our guests will examine the communist despot in this special historical edition of Anarchy in America with Christian Gomez. The future Soviet dictator was born as Yosef Yugashvili on December 9, 1879 in the Georgian city of Gori. In 1913, he wrote a pamphlet titled Marxism and the National Question about how a Bolshevik government would address the various and diverse ethnicities throughout the Russian Empire. The pamphlet was penned under the pseudonym and the name by which he would forever be known as Stalin, which translates to Man of Steel. Joining me today to discuss Joseph Stalin is Yuri N. Maltsev, currently a professor of economics at Carthage College in Wisconsin, who's held various government and research positions in the Soviet Union. Before he defected to the U.S. in 1989, our guest Yuri was a member of the senior economics team that worked on Mikhail Gorbachev's Perestroika reforms. Professor Maltsev, thank you for being with us today. Nice to be with you. Thank you so much. So before you defected to the U.S., you had access to various Soviet archives and files. What, if anything, uh, did you come across about Stalin um, and his role in building up international communism and his, and his legacy in the Soviet Union? What are some of the crimes of Stalin that many Americans might not be aware about? Well, Stalin was kind of an incarnation of evil in the human history. He and his predecessor, Lenin, they were the mass murderers number one. They murdered in between them, they murdered anywhere from 43 to 61 million people. Wow. Uh, that's, that's more than all dictators did before them. So all the Genghis Khans of the world, they, did, they were not even close to these numbers. And they murdered more people than than even the, the Nazis did. Uh, the only Mao Zedong killed more than Stalin and Lenin, but uh, but China is pretty big population-wise. Stalin used to say, "Death of one is a tragedy. Death of a million, just statistic, nothing else." Say in Nazi Germany, uh, for example, if you are not Jewish, if you are not say a uh, Roma person, or if you are not classical liberal, then you can survive. You think you are kind of all right if you are not against the government. In Soviet Union, Stalin created a system of random murders. It doesn't, it, there is no difference what you are doing or what you are saying. You can love Stalin or you can hate Stalin. You can be a communist or anti-communist. And in both cases, in all cases, you can be dead. What was the you, purpose of these random murders? Why would Stalin uh, potentially kill supporters? I think that's, that is, that is uh, easy to govern because everybody, if people don't know how they can modify their behavior to stay alive, then everybody trembles with fear. 
So he the ruled whole, by fear. Yeah, the whole nation is paralyzed by fear. And not only they will kill you, they will kill your family, and they would promise that they would not kill them, but they would. Stalin in 1935, he issued a secret memorandum, which was called Apple and Apple Tree. And the point in this memorandum was that if you kill parents, then other members of the family and children would not like you. So you have so, to kill them all also? So then that means take the whole cluster of enemies out. That was the... the and so they were killing... Uh, at that time, they, they reduced the, the um, age for death penalty to 12. So they could shoot, shoot already kids who are 12 years old. But it doesn't mean that if you are younger than 12, that you would be killed. Because they had special orphanages for daughters and sons of the enemies of the people. And these orphanages, mortality rate per year, were about 40-50%. There were death camps for little wow. ones. So this was the... This was this, this socialism that... So these people. orphanages sound like they were like sort of death gulags for the children. Exactly, exactly. And can you imagine what kind of monsters were serving for whatever this these children? Wow. Because, so well, in 1919, Vladimir Lenin founded the Comintern, also known as the Communist International or, or the Third International, the point of which was to advocate for world communist revolution through the use of self-determination and wars of national liberation. How did Stalin mold or use the Comintern to spread the ideology of communism abroad, or specifically in the United States? What were some of the tactics he used here? Well, the tactics was, I mean, the whole idea of, of socialism is internationalist idea. So the whole idea of creating Comintern was the Communist International. The idea was that Soviet Union is the country where socialism won. But it doesn't mean that we should sit around and, and enjoy this in the so-called socialism. Uh, but the whole idea was that we are indebted to the whole world to start a world revolution, to, to have the whole world should turn socialist. And at that time, Leo Trotsky, another mass murderer and another buddy of Lenin, an enemy of Stalin, Stalin murdered him in Mexico in 1940. Uh, but Leo Trotsky, he came up with the idea of two so-called two engines. That Soviet Union is a one engine, one motor, small motor. And the world is the big motor. And there should be a transmission belt between these two motors and the small motor, Soviet Union, should start the world engine so that the whole, the whole idea, the whole mission of Soviet Union would be to, to spread socialism all around the world. And they, uh, and what was that? They were, uh, they immediately attracted a lot of socialists from all over the world. Some of them moved even to Moscow and worked there in the spy agency of the Soviet Union. And so the many people who would be, as Lenin would call them, useful idiots, would be people who would promote socialist ideas in other countries. In other countries. And who would, who would these useful idiots be like today in the United States? Are there any groups or individuals that you would say would fall under that category? Well, of course, 
For example, Antifa is a good example. Antifa, it was founded by Stalin, by the way, in 1932 in Germany. Ernst Thälmann was the leader of German communists who was in exile in Soviet Union. And he was ordered to Stalin and Stalin told him that we should start Antifa to fight fascism. And amazingly enough, it was not the fascism that was meant. What Stalin meant was so-called social fascism. And social fascism would be social democracy. So the major enemy of Antifa was not National Socialist Party of Hitler, but it was Social Democratic Party of Germany because Stalin was afraid that they will take that they will take power and they would be hostile to the Soviet Union. And, uh, and so that's what they were doing. And at that time, Social Democrats, they had their own military kind of paramilitary group called the Iron Front. And so the first Antifa battles were between Social Democrats and Communists in Antifa. In Antifa. Uh, then after Hitler was elected to be to be a chancellor. And again, this is this shows us the limits for democracy because, because Hitler was democratically elected in that elections. And then immediately he started uh, he started something called SA, which is um, which is a brown shorts meeting uh, uh, movement. And most of Antifa was incorporated because what Hitler was saying that that members of Antifa, members of the Communist Party, would be the best Nazis. Because his point is that they have this, as Hitler put it, revolutionary feeling, deep revolutionary feeling. His point was Antifa, when cleaned from Jews, from Jewish influence, it can be part of, of national socialism system in Germany. And it, it became like that. So now it was resuscitated in the United States, and look what they want. They want to destroy capitalism. They want to destroy any kind of whatever, human rights, property rights, everything. They have a, they have a kind of a, a plan, a plan, a socialist plan. To, uh, because what socialism, why socialism is so, is so attractive to people like, say, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or Ilian Omar or others, because members of the squad that's right because the socialism provides them with a claim to power that's why great austrian economist friedrich august von hayek he wrote a wonderful essay called why intellectuals love socialism in which he is saying intellectuals love socialism because it is their claim to power that they know more than everybody else and they are social envy, social envy, because if a person is making, I don't know, toilet paper, whatever, become rich because of that. And they, who knows everything about everything, they are not as rich. So social envy is working for them. And this, and this, the whole idea of socialism run by intellectuals is they think they will run it. So basically, Antifa in the U.S. is an extension of Stalin. It is the legacy of Stalinism here in America, having its roots in uh, in Germany when Stalin created uh, Antifa to fight the Social Democrats of Germany. Okay, so what about people who are self-proclaimed Marxists in America? They'll say that they are communist even, but then if you bring up Stalin, they'll say, oh, no, 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 Stalin, he was not a real communist, uh, Marxist-Leninist. What do you say to those 
communists and Marxists in the streets that say Stalin was not a real communist. Was he a real communist or was he or was he something different? Show me any socialist country which would be nice and democratic and cozy. There's no such thing. Moreover, many of my colleagues even would say that that um, socialism is actually good. That's communism is bad. That fascism is bad, which is another form of socialism, as you know. Uh, and communism is um, uh, uh, was it was bad. That Stalin uh, and Mao Zedong, but socialism is very good. And this is not true because communism was never practiced. Communism, according to Marx, will be a system where the government would wither away. There'll be no government. There'll be no need to govern people because people would be such an angels that they will self-govern themselves. That will be self-governing communities everywhere. People will work for free. Money would wither away. People would work for free as much as they possibly can. And then after work, they will go to some special warehouses, would be like, I don't know, like Costco or Sam's Club. And they would, they would pick up from there everything they want, everything they need. And there will be no cashiers, no, no money, no nothing. Uh, but they will be such an angels that they would pick up only the most necessary things. They would never take more than they really need. That's this, this, this is what Marx was writing about it. And Engels, his buddy, the Friedrich Engels and co-author of his work, uh, he asked Marx, when does he think this communism will come? And Marx said, maybe three or four five hundred years from now. So we're still on a wait list. So mm-hmm. communism was never practiced, was never practiced. And, uh, and so this is, this is what, and socialism, then another myth of this self-described Marxist in the United States is, uh, like Bernie Sanders, for example, that, that Scandinavian countries are, for some reason, are socialist countries. Now, what is, what is socialism? Socialism is abolition of private property. Anyone right. can, buy, can buy a manifesto of the Communist Party and you will see that that in one sentence what it is, it's abolition of private property. No yeah. private property. Thank you so much for joining us today, Yuri. We really appreciate your time. Take care and stay safe, my friend. You too. Thank you very much. Nice Thank to be you. with you. Thank you. What we weren't able to cover today was why Stalin became the man he did. He was raised by a devout, orthodox mother who insisted he become a priest. However, his father was a frequent alcoholic who often mercilessly beat both of them. He abandoned the family in 1890 when Stalin was only 11. An inside look into Stalin's childhood was recounted by a boyhood friend and later political opponent, Yoshev Erismashvili. He stated, undeserved terrible beatings made the boy as hard and heartless as his father himself, since all men who had authority over others, either through power or age, reminded him of his father, there soon arose a feeling of revenge against all men who stood above him. From his youth, the realization of his thoughts of revenge became the goal toward which everything was aimed. Yuri mentioned Stalin's atrocities and heartlessness. Knowing that Stalin signed off on the execution of millions of political rivals and so-called enemies of the state, 
I came across a very interesting quote that Stalin reported to have told two Communist Party members, Drzinski and Kamenev, one night in the summer of 1923. To choose one's victims, to prepare one's plans minutely, to slake an implacable vengeance, and then to go to bed? There is nothing sweeter in the world. The suffering and human cost brought upon by Stalin and his unyielding zeal to bring communism to Russia and the world is incalculable. Although Stalin died of a sudden brain hemorrhage on March 5, 1953, the effects of his brutal regime are still felt to this day as Antifa and other Marxist-Leninists continue in his footsteps to bring about world revolution. Only through education about the horrors of Stalin can we hope to avoid the nightmare of communism. Until next week, take care and God bless.